three points. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to present a message about um, Jesus and his character or title, which is um, for chapter one. I didn't do it. Uh, chapter one, the character of Jesus we're looking at is the son of God. And you can turn to chapter one. So we are all here to know more about Jesus and why he is important to us. And it's an important issue to recognize that Jesus is God, not just an ordinary man. He is um, a divine being called the Son of God. I'm going to speak fast because I've got more content than 10 minutes. (laughs) Um, So with this revelation that Jesus is God, you will see that everything that Jesus does is God's words and actions. It is God face-to-face with mankind. And in this way, as you choose to follow Jesus, you are putting your trust in God. And it says in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. And it says, anyone anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So today we're referring to the words in the book of um, John, chapter 1. John is one of his disciples and about Jesus' name, the Son of God. And I'll read a selection from uh, chapter 1 now, the very start. Refresh your mind like you've never heard it before. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And at verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. So on this passage... Well, I'm going to go fast. The passage describes a time in the beginning. You've heard it before at the start of Genesis. John is saying quite directly, at the beginning beginning of all time, God was there. And John says, Jesus was there. Before the universe existed, before mankind existed, um, Jesus was there. So he can't be fully human. He is an eternal being. And that's the first words from John implying that Jesus is God. And in the beginning, you know, it says, God created the heavens and the earth, therefore Jesus, being present at the time, Jesus is the creator of the universe and all things seen. Also in John, he describes this being as the word, this title. I always found it a bit of a trip. Um, And I like to sort of think about it, maybe I said um, in the beginning was this person and the person was with God and this person was God. In the beginning was this being and this being was with God and this being was God. And John writes it as the word. So I will share what I've read about the intention of this description, the word. It's a combination of two things. First is thoughts, words and intelligence of God. So Jesus um, is part of God's mind, his thoughts and wisdom And Jesus and the Father are one. Uh, John writes that the Word was God. Secondly, the Word includes speaking. So in this context, it is made known the hidden thoughts of God. 
So Jesus is described as God's thoughts being made known. John writes, the word became flesh. So Jesus being one with God in the beginning changed into a human form so that we would know the mind of God. So next, so we've just said Jesus is an internal being. He is God and through him everything was made. So what does it mean for our attitude towards him? So he deserves the same honour, devotion, worship and reverence as Almighty God the Father. And I'll admit as a child, the term son of God tricked me and I thought he was lesser than God, like a child is lesser than a father. Now I understand more. Jesus is not secondary to the Father. He is not a man that became God. He was and is the fullness of God in human form. (laughs) The divine became flesh. And it says in Colossians chapter 2, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And And it says in the same chapter, Jesus, he is the head over every power and authority. Therefore, Jesus has the same authority as God. Jesus' own claim to be the Son of God. Um, This is what offended the church leaders at his time. He referred to himself as the Son of God after he healed a disabled man by the pool. And it says in John chapter 5 that he was, that is Jesus, he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So again, no lesser. Jesus also says in the same chapter, John chapter 5, verse 22, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. So Jesus says here, our attitude to him becomes our attitude to God. You can't treat them differently. Next, it says in the passage of John that we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And John is uh, a disciple of Jesus, the author of this book, and he is a first-hand witness. And what glory is he referring to? It is the divine qualities of Jesus shining through his human form. And that is why John calls him the Son of God. The glory of Jesus was revealed in his wisdom his miracles, his character, his supernatural knowledge, his transfiguration and resurrection. Just on a few of them, about wisdom, Jesus was a carpenter who could silence the questioning of the religious leaders. And surely only God could be a level above the leaders and teachers of the church, showing his wisdom is above all. Um, The other glory that John was a witness to is the glory obviously through miracles that's supernatural qualities of Jesus Um, John was also a witness to the event when Jesus was transfigured with shining light and at that time God the Father's voice announced this is my beloved son in whom I love with him I am well pleased so in that one God is saying he is my son confirming it The glory of Jesus was revealed by supernatural insight when he met with Nathanael. And since we're looking at chapter 1, you can scroll down to verse um, 47 and I'll read it. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, 
Here truly is an Israelite in him in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? said Nathanael. Well, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip, Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So we could conclude that Nathanael was praying or having thoughts about God under the fig tree. Perhaps he had questions about whether the Messiah would come or if God even notices the faithful. What was Nathanael doing under that tree? Jesus comes and says, I saw you. But I feel that Nathanael was so impressed because Jesus implies, I know what you were thinking. Supernaturally, I know your thoughts. And Nathanael then declares Jesus as the son of God. So why is the Son of God here? John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Therefore, Jesus, the Son of God, is here to make known the wonderful qualities and goodwill of God. And what is the mission statement of this church? To know Jesus and make him known. (laughs) And we can add to it, to know Jesus is to know God. The conclusion to my little message, why is it good to recognise that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus is the way to know God's wonderful character and goodwill. Also to give Jesus full honour, respect and worship and devotion as he is God. So in this way, as you choose to follow Jesus, you're putting your trust in God. Jesus says, if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. Thank you. Awesome. Well done, Angela. Let's just take a minute just to pray and uh, just respond to the Lord because we don't want to just go through these messages uh, and kind of get to the end and then respond. I think because they're different topics, let's just respond to the Lord and just say, thank you, Lord, that that you are the Son of God, that uh, you've come to reveal the Father. So, Lord, work in my life. Reveal the Father to me. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for Angela. We thank you for the, the, the incredible way that she brought the message and we thank you for the revelation that's come through this. Lord, we, we do desire to know the Father more and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. The Son of God, it's incredible to think that you, the eternal God, came in human form and yet you are God. You're not just a carpenter who lived uh, all, all those years ago. You're actually God. And it's so incredible, Lord, to know you as that. I pray that just something of that revelation would sit in our hearts, just like it did with Nathaniel. There'd be a revelation. Jesus is God in our lives. Lord, we say we know these things, but there's always deeper levels of understanding and revelation that you give us. So work in us now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Just let the Lord speak to you now. Just let him open your eyes. See Jesus as God in all his glory. You know, when John, when John saw Jesus like this, he fell at his feet as though dead. Lord, you are truly amazing. Sometimes we, sometimes we can just water you down to being tame and, and easily put in a box. But you, no one can put you in a box because you're a God.
We praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All righty, next up is Kirsten. Give her a round of applause as she comes up. <laughs> do you want to hold it? Pardon? Do you want to hold it? Or do you no, want to it? I think it's better if it's just plugged in. <laughs> No. I actually have bought other Bibles and I just keep going back to this one. I love this Bible. <laughs> I'm much more comfortable teaching the children, but here I am. Russ gave me the opportunity and I thought, just say yes, why not? So, uh, so I'm talking about Jesus, uh, Son of Man, the humanness of Christ. Okay, And whilst I have been meditating on John 2, um, something unexpected happened for me personally, which is that a new door of my faith opened. A little door, but it, it opened. And I'm going to take you on the journey of this door opening in my mind. I think previously, for me, in a moment of need where I'm crying out to God, I really hold on to Jesus the divine or Jesus on the cross the resurrected son. And those are awesome truths to stand on. You should definitely stand on those truths. They've got me this far. Um, But really something happened in really meditating on the humanness of Christ because before he died and rose again, he lived. And there was a reason for that. So uh, looking at John 2, I actually just want to go a little bit before the wedding. So we see... um, John the Baptist, he loved to declare the divinity of Christ. You know, the guy just walks past him. He's like, Lamb of God, Messiah. He was a bit crazy, that guy. So it says the next day, um, John saw Jesus. So actually, sorry, the day before that, um, John's talking about the baptism of Jesus. So I think at this point, Jesus must be in the wilderness somewhere. But obviously, when he baptized Jesus, that was a great moment for him. So he's still talking about it. And he's talking about when he baptized Jesus and the dove came down. It was this epic moment. And then it says, the next day, Jesus walks past him. That's when he goes, oh, Lamb of God, Son of Man. Da, da. Two of his disciples ditch him and thought, okay, we're going to follow that guy. So he gets two disciples. They get their brother. Then the next day, Jesus, as Angela touched on, he recruits Philip and Nathaniel. Nathaniel is, Jesus says, pure and integrity, but when he hears where Jesus is from, that's not what he says. He says, Nazareth, nothing good comes from there. And I love that that's where Jesus is from, you know, when I was moving out to Werribee from the leafy green suburbs. Everyone said, Werribee, why would you move there? Isn't there a poo factory there? And I just love that that is where Jesus is from, the place that people sort of scoff at. And then it says, the next day he goes to a wedding. So for me, what sort of stood out is the contrast of this to Acts and when the disciples have the Holy Spirit falling on them like fire. So I don't know about you, but when I read Acts, I read it really fast. It is like jam-packed action movie. The fire comes down. They're talking in tongues. You know, thousands get saved. Then they're arguing with each other. Then they're getting persecuted, shipwrecks. You know, it goes on. So Acts is like jam-packed. And, you know, I think often as Christians, we look at um, that early stage of the church as like, oh, wow, you know, it's aspirational. Um, so looking at Jesus, though, you know, epic day, dove comes down, off he goes to the wilderness, comes back in power, and he goes to a wedding. Why would he do that? 
you know, he knows his days on earth are numbered. I don't think he is there to waste his time. We see he is a very intentional person. Firstly, we know that he could not have been invited to that wedding for his good looks or money. (laughs) So he must have been a good guy. So that's nice to know that he was um, relatable. Secondly, I don't think he would have gone out of obligation. We see the whole way through John that he is not in the business of people pleasing. So maybe he went there. There are, you know, going to be a lot of people there from the community. Is this his opportunity to show that the kingdom has come? Well, let's see what he does at the wedding. So chapter 2 says the next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me? Jesus asked, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And we see then that he does his first miracle which is turning water into wine. Now, in other translations that I read, he actually says, woman, how does this concern me? Uh, So actually, I got quite offended when I first read that. (laughs) I thought, that's a bit rude. Shame. She's trying to be nice, you know. Um, (laughs) So it's clear to me when I read this that he is not going there to be a hero. He is not there. Wait. Oh, yeah, I noticed that too. I'm going to step in, and then my disciples will know I'm the real deal. I don't feel that that was his intention. So to understand his intention a little bit more, I want to take a step further back. God could have done anything to save humanity in our broken world situation. Jesus ascended to heaven. He could have just descended He could have ministered early. You know, we saw at 12, he was already blowing the minds of the teachers in the synagogues. But he was actually around my age, which is 32. He was a bit younger than me. Uh, When he started his ministry, before he ministered, before he died on the cross, before he rose again, he lived. He lived a life. He worked. He was a part of a really large family. They list his brothers and then their sisters as well. We can also see that his father, Joseph, is no longer present um, at this point in his life. So he had responsibilities in a family as well. We see that he um, experienced pain, joy, grief, and loss. When his friend Lazarus died, he didn't rock up there. And sometimes as Christians, we do this. You'll see him in glory. Praise God. He wept. And I think, for me, looking at the miracles throughout John, the miracles, Jesus doesn't do miracles to make a point, although obviously they make a point. When he wants to make a point, he makes his point. He uses his word, okay? He is moved by compassion when he performs the miracles. He sees a part of our broken world, and he responds to it. He doesn't have a mapped out plan, I'm going to, heal a blind guy over there, and then I'm going to show them I can walk on water, and then I'm going to do this. He responds to the need that is presented to him. Jesus has compassion. 
So at the wedding, no, he doesn't notice the wine runs out. Maybe he was annoyed or maybe he was just stating a fact. How does this concern me? But Jesus, as we know, he does not, he comes from poverty. His life was full of shame. And he, I believe, was moved by a family that obviously did not have enough money to buy enough wine, that he just wanted to protect their shame, protect their honor. And he moves presenting the best wine yet. So what does this mean really for us? And how was that door in my heart opened? I think, you know, sometimes I had doubts about the things that were bothering me or worrying me about whether as a more mature Christian I should just get over it. But I see actually from reading through this that Jesus actually experienced a lot on this earth and his compassion for us means he's the perfect mediator up in heaven in God. A few weeks ago uh, Russ invited people up at the front for prayer um, for healing and while I was up there praying for someone I had a very very vivid image of Jesus walking amongst us and in my spirit I felt his compassion and I think Jesus is with us He is with us and with us in our humanity. And I think that is why it's very important that he came to earth and lived in our broken world. Um, Two scriptures to end on. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that a time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies to all in mourning. Um, in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own gro- uh, glory. And then, oh, I didn't underline this scripture. That's annoying. <laughs> There's a scripture in Hebrews that talks about why it was important that he came to this will as a man and I can't find it now but anyways <laughs> that's fine thanks so much wonderful just amazing how God how Jesus just cares about the little things in our lives eh? you think like that wedding um, wouldn't be that important God's got much more important things to do and yet, because he's moved by compassion, he, he ministers to that family. So let's just take a bit of time and just think, you know, maybe present some of your needs to the Lord because he, he really cares about the little details in your life. Eh? It's not too small for him to notice or to do something about. He's not just the God of the big, you know, uh, thunder and lightning. But he's also the God that uh, makes sure the little sparrows eat their, eat their meal every day. Now, Father, we, we come before you and we just really want to thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, that you've shown us that you minister with compassion. You care about the little details in our lives and things that we might think um, are insignificant in the eyes of God. Uh, things that we might think you've got way more important things to deal with and worry about the wine at our wedding. But uh, you ministered out of compassion, and you'll do it again, Lord, in our families. And, Lord, we have needs, uh, We um, and we don't want to just gloss over them and say, well, I don't want to bother you with that, because we really believe that 
you want us to bother you with these things. You want to be involved in our life. And so we want to bring them before you. We bring our kids before you. We bring our spouses before you. We bring our extended family before you. Our jobs, our finances, our homes, the air conditioner that breaks and the washing machine that breaks and the car that breaks down and all these little things. We bring them all before you, Lord. And we just ask that you would take care of our needs. Thank you. You're such a personal God. Thank you for your involvement in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last, Tristan. Welcome, Tristan. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> How are we doing this evening? <laughs> How's everyone doing? Okay, sweet. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, I just need to clear my throat. Oh, Dad's going to take it for it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pose like a preacher for a second. I'm going to do the, the classic, the hand in the pocket. And then I can, sweet. You can't say you're preached unless you've done, done one of these, you know? So, I'm going <laughs> to... Okay, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to try. I've got a lot to get through, so. <clears throat> Man, my throat was... Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do I start? So tonight we're looking at the book of John, and I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 3, which is home of one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Does anyone know what that is? John 3.16. John 3.16, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> um, so Kirsten preached on... Um, so Kirsten and Angie, they preached on the Son of God and Jesus, the Son of Man. And I'm going to be preaching on Jesus, the Divine Teacher. So to be completely honest, when I first heard that I was going to be preaching on Jesus, the Divine Teacher, I had no idea what to preach on. I had no idea what that even meant. So, so, so um, yeah, I just, I just thought about my teachers that I had in school. And I thought about the, what, what qualities make up a good teacher, and I looked in the Bible and see how I could apply that with Jesus and what makes a good teacher. So I thought, so what makes Jesus such a great teacher or a divine teacher? So one reason that Jesus himself, uh, one reason that Jesus um, is a divine teacher is he had been taught. Now that it's very important because a teacher has to know something if they're going to teach the kids. So if a math teacher walks into a class, they, they know nothing about math. So the, the students aren't going to learn anything, right? So it's just common sense, right? Yeah. So not only um, had he been taught, but he knew how important it was to listen. But who did he listen to? Who taught him? Jesus learned from his heavenly father. So... In John eight twenty eight, Jesus says, I do, nothing on my, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. In John seven sixteen, it says, So Jesus told them, My message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Or in other versions, it says, What I teach is not mine. It comes from the one who sent me. So that's what's so great about Jesus is the way he teaches, it's all to glorify the Father and not himself. So it's really good. It's a perfect example for us to follow, actually. So, But then what can we take from that? Well, we must all ask ourselves, um, who do we listen to? Who is our source when we need answers? You know? And John 6, 38, it says, for I, have done, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. 
So are we trying to do our own thing or are we asking God what it is he wants us to do? And in Romans 12.2, it says, Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So we must listen like Jesus and listen to the will of God over our lives that is what will give us fulfillment in our lives. So recently, I just done my driving test. So in a driving test, uh, you get... You, you, you have to take a car and your instructor, they come and sit down next to you and you pretty much have to obey everything they say. So they'll say, you know, turn your, turn your indicator on right, left, and then you drive out of the driveway and then they'll say, on the next street, take, take a right. And if, if I decide, no, I don't want to take a right, I'm, I'm going to fail my test, right? I, I can't say, you, because they're in authority in that position, I have to listen to them. And sometimes it's like that with God. Like sometimes we're, we're, on the, we're in the car, we're on the journey of our lives and we're in control and then God's sitting next to us and he's saying, oh, you know, uh, I want you to take a ride onto the freeway. And then we're like, oh, I don't know, like this is a 50 zone, I'm really comfortable here, you know, like there's nice trees and I don't want to go down the road to Frankston or whatever it is, you know, like oh, I'm, happy, I'm happy here in Werribee, you know, but sometimes... Well, yeah, we've got to obey God because we can't, or else we're going to fail our test. So, yeah, um, I've lost my spot now, sorry. So we must listen to our instructor as Jesus listened to his. And what happens when we start listening to God, things in our life start to line up and we have direction. Sometimes the route might take longer, but we still make it there in the end. If we choose not to obey our instructor, we'll fail our test. So Jesus says there's only one way to the kingdom of God. We can't find any other way. John 3, 3, it says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but um, if the will of God is good and pleasing and perfect, I know what I want to be doing with my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And my last reason why Jesus is such a great teacher, because I don't have a lot of time. There's so many more reasons I could speak on, but just my last one um, is that he loved people. Jesus loved people. He wanted to help people learn about God. See, he loved people so much to the extent that he left his father in heaven and he gave up all his power and took the form of a man and came to earth so that he could teach people what we must do to be saved. And as we see in John three sixteen and 17, we see, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And I believe this is, this is arguably one of the most important teachings for us to understand. Um, we must, what we must know, do to have eternal life. Like, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want eternal life? Like, yeah. And here's some more scriptures, just quickly, just to write them down of, about eternal life. Um, so in John 6.35, it says, Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And in verse 38.41, it says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them on the last day. And then just one more scripture, John ten twenty seven to 29. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and, follow, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. See, Jesus loves people so much that he offers us eternal life. And all we must do 
to believe is uh, we must do is believe and follow him. And we are given it for free because of the love of God and Jesus' one of Jesus' greatest teachings. And who here likes freebies, right? Who here like wants something for free, right? I know, I know I do, but, but I guess I couldn't really call it a freebie because Jesus paid the highest price and he gave up everything for us. So I should, I should call it a gift. So who likes gifts? Who likes gifts? Everybody likes gifts, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so after hearing all of this, we know that Jesus is great and a divine teacher and is perfect example for us to follow. So let's follow him. Let's be good students of our divine teacher, Jesus Christ. And it says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So let's go on the path that leads towards life. And if you're sitting here this evening and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, make the decision now. Don't wait. I remember... When I was, I was probably six or seven, I remember sitting in my bunk bed with Geordie. We were going to bed and then mum and dad came into the room and we said the sinner's prayer. And right that day, I knew that my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I was only six, but I knew. I knew that I knew. And it was the best, honestly, the best decision I could ever make in my life. Yeah. That decision was the greatest decision in my life. And now my life is so full of meaning. Jesus has given me purpose and I want to follow him for the rest of my days here on earth because I know that my home is in heaven. So I highly, highly encourage anyone sitting here today who doesn't know Jesus to come and meet him tonight. Thank you. Awesome. Well done, bud. Let's just uh, let's just respond in prayer and uh, yeah, I just think that uh, Jesus is a teacher that can be trusted. Eh? That's just what came through for me. He's such a good teacher that uh, we can put our trust in him, even when we don't understand fully what he's actually trying to teach us. Sometimes we don't know, like Tristan said, we don't know why we're going right or left, and but Jesus knows, eh? And we've just got to put our trust in him that he knows what he's doing. So, Father, we. We come before you this evening. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus is such an incredible teacher because he was taught by you. He, he was discipled by you. He came to do your will. The things that he said were the things that you told him to say. And we thank you also that Jesus loves us deeply. What an incredible privilege to be taught by a teacher who truly loves us. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight... There'd be something of a trust that drops in our hearts where, as you're teaching us, we wouldn't question you and we wouldn't um, resist what you're trying to teach us, but we would yield to you and we'd say, God, maybe I don't understand what you're trying to do in my life, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to let you teach me because I know your character. I know you are a good, good God. And I know that you want the best for me and that your teaching will bring the best out in me. So, Lord, I pray just for that trust just to settle in us tonight. Whatever we're going through, maybe some of us are experiencing uh, a difficult time where we're going through the fire um, and we're really being taught something that may be difficult for us to, to learn and understand. But I pray that in the midst of all of it, There'd be a deep trust in you, Lord Jesus, because we know that you are the perfect teacher. You are a good teacher. You are a loving teacher. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. 
praise you, praise you, Lord. Father, we thank you for these three preachers tonight. We pray your blessing upon each and every one of them. Bless them for all the, all the hours that they put into preparing these messages. Thank you for their willingness. Thank you, Lord, for their obedience. And we just pray your richest blessings upon them. In Jesus' mighty name. Give them a round of applause again. Well done.